ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Let's gnaw on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. So, so tie the scriptures together. And it's a, another one of those things that I wish I was better at, and I wish I was able to say it to people better. So let us tie this, what you just said. The Holy Spirit will never lead us to the wrong thing. The Holy Spirit is God. And in James, where we read, God does not tempt any man. So why would you suggest that God, the Spirit, is leading you into something that is tempting your soul and heart to turn away from God? God is not leading you there. It is a God. It is a God leading you there, but it's the God of this world, right. not the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second mark, he said, of, of the Spirit's presence is that we cry, Abba, Father. And he uh, quotes Romans eight fifteen, which I think says exactly that. And I should have separated these out. That says, uh, for you did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we call Abba, Father. And he says uh, that the word actually used there, uh, the word for Abba uh, is, or the word for cry is like a a loud cry or uh, a shriek, a shriek of anguish. And I think he he takes it back to when uh, Christ was on the cross um, so a lot of people look at that uh, when we call uh, Abba Father, that it's like, oh, you know, it's a warm and fuzzy right. cry. Is that what it's talking about? Well, certainly, yeah. certainly we want to preclude, preclude that. But I would say that that shriek, that cry Father is the kind of desperation for this Father. Mm-hmm. And again, and, and once again, we have this idea. So many people in the Christian church, they, they don't have any desperation about God. They can take him or leave him. They say they love him with all their heart, but that's there's not that kind of cry. Oh, God, please, I must have you. And, and that kind of cry of a father, the cry of a baby who is in a, in, a, in a crib without no one to come and get them. It reminds me of that passage in the Psalms, where David says, or the psalmist says, when my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will lift me up. And the idea in that text is a baby who cannot fend for itself, abandoned by its mother, abandoned by its father, and the Lord comes along and picks them up. And the desperation of that child crying out for God. So you you have that. That is part of it. But it's that you know, it's 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 that part of our experience. So it's like a passion for Christ, a, a passion. passion. Um, so in our time of, of need, we run passionately to our Heavenly Father right. Right. to supply us and take care of that right. need. Right, right. You can, you can almost take that metaphor and put in any uh, description of a desperate situation. And how people in desperate times will strive to see a need met in their life. But the problem is this great need we have is spiritual. It's it's being reconciled with God. Mm-hmm. He's got to do that. 
But that process begins with his revealing to us how badly we need his deliverance. Mm-hmm. So it is that kind of, of a cry, Abba, Father. I, I, I want to pause to point out that you find, you find debate within scholars about the Abba. Does it mean, is Paul simply saying Abba, the Aramaic word for father, and then uh, Pater, I think, is the Greek word for father? Uh, is he just saying, using two different words to emphasize we have this fatherly relationship? Some say the word Abba really means daddy. And I think depending on the father or daddy you had, that that term could be polluted or beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fear that some people, and I cannot tell them not to use that term, but I fear some people in the using the word daddy don't it, it is, are not conveying the seriousness of the God who has adopted us into his family. Mm-hmm. And we certainly should have the freedom to come to him as a loving father for his children. But there is that there is that concept there of the desperation. Can we can we lose the sense of desperation through the use of the word daddy? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying again, I'm not telling people not to do it. I'm just highlighting the that we should think about how it could it could feed into that. Right. We uh, don't we have to be careful with that in in another way because God the Father he is our father but he is also holy he is righteous and he uh, we stand we should stand in awe of right, him right be in awe of God the Father now we can come to him now, and and getting back to uh, passion and need a lot of times we have a strong passionate feeling or desire for God to solve our physical needs, but not our spiritual right. needs like you were talking right. to. Um, and also our hunger, you know, our, uh, we have, we should have that spiritual, we should have a passionate spiritual hunger. Right. Now you can see I'm passionate about my physical they hunger. They can't see that. <laughs> they can't see this belly down here. I'm passionate about my physical hunger. Now, Hopefully, God would instill in me right. a passion for uh, that spiritual hunger to yes. come for Him, because He supplies right. that right. for us uh, as well. I, I think, and I think He does do that. We call them trials. We call them trials and tests and difficulties and adversities. Everybody has them, but but the Christian responds to them differently, and sometimes God uses them in the the product of that period of. Uh, anxiety, trial, temptation is an awareness of God, how petty I am, how much I need you more than these other things. The third mark of the presence of the Holy Spirit is the witness of the Spirit. Now, I think uh, some people get this confused a little bit, too, and, and I'll let you get it straightened out. He uh, quotes Romans 8. 16, which it says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Uh, Dr. Ferguson says often it has been interpreted as a mystical inner voice which speaks comfort and assurance to the believer. 
Uh, how would you describe the witness of the Holy Spirit? Well, there, there he's touching on the very thing that I would have to say that I am terribly um, uh, in, insufficient for that. I'm looking for a different word. That's why I hesitated. Mm-hmm. Because you do have this debate between scholars of exactly what is the witness of the Spirit. We, it cannot be. And I'm not sure whether he talked about it, whether it was in this, uh, this other book, but, but you know, the Mormons say, you read the Book of Mormon, then ask God to give you proof of it, and you feel this warming of your heart. And that proves the Book of Mormon's true, and you should accept it. And it becomes a, a uh, subjective test so that you can no longer say to any Mormon, well, yeah, but the book you believe is wrong, and the, the Christ it portrays is not the Christ of the Bible. I felt the warming. So that's the concern Dr. Ferguson has, mm-hmm. that somebody just says, you know, I had a religious experience. I had a religious experience, and so I know that I, now I've got that witness of my spirit, and I know, uh, I know that I'm, I know that I know I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I would, I would have to say that at some point in that knowing, there should be the evidence of the work of the spirit in your heart, bringing forth the fruits of the spirit. That we see, and not just that kind of subjective. Can I also point out that another way I've seen that passage misused, because people quote the principle and not the passage, is they will say, "I felt the witness of the Spirit with that person over there," mm-hmm. but but that person's teaching false doctrine. How can the Spirit give you a, a witness that they're a true believer and what they're saying is completely wrong? Yeah. And I, I I've seen this first firsthand. When we were out in Missouri, Western Tennessee at the time, uh, four decades ago, almost, and uh, there was this evangelist that was sent in to to do a, a revival at our church, and there was another pastor in that area who was into all this prosperity gospel and everything else, and and I. I, so I was, I took the one pastor down to meet this other guy and they, and they said, man, my spirit bore witness as soon as I saw you. And both of them were prosperity preachers. The one guy used manipulation in his, in, in his preaching. He'd go up to people and say that God wants you to give the biggest gift you've ever given in your life in this crusade. Uh, and the other pastor, and, and I don't want the hearer to think I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to set myself up as judge of all these other pastors, okay? But here was a pastor who was paid by a church. He was never there. He was always go off and preach revivals at other churches. And he was never there at his church. But yet I'm supposed to believe the Holy Spirit is witnessing about how this guy is. You see how that's a misuse? And that is not what that verse says. That verse says nothing about your spirit witnessing with my spirit. It says the Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirit. But what precisely Paul meant is debated, okay, in the Christian church, because it is so easy to say, well, I've got a witness of the spirit. I know I'm saved. How do you know I'm saved? Well, I just feel God in my heart. Well, like we, we've said before, it's more than a feeling. Uh, sometimes we get our emotions. Uh, our, of course, being the Christian Life involves emotions. Right. There's no doubt about it. Right. 
our emotions are involved, but sometimes we let them take over. Right. And, uh, and instead of uh, bringing reason and looking, again, it all comes back to the Word of God, just as we're not going to be led against the Word of God by the Spirit, He's not going to bear witness uh, to anything to our spirit that goes against what the Word right. of God says. Right. Correct. Right, absolutely. When we when we talk about his bearing witness, let us remember that we should be looking for the conviction of the Holy Spirit right. sometimes. And you have people who say, oh, I've got the witness of the Spirit, and that becomes a justification for them to ignore the areas of sin in their life. And I'm not talking about my catalog of their sins, which could be petty mm-hmm. and could be growing out of my own heart. I'm talking about here's what the Bible says. You're not doing this. You're doing the exact opposite. So how come you're not feeling conviction from the Spirit rather than constant approval for the things that you are doing, that you're doing wrong, that are clearly, clearly, clearly scriptural in nature saying, children, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be going that way. You shouldn't be involved in that. And uh, again, this becomes where people will actually ignore the preaching of the gospel. They'll, they'll, they'll ignore their spiritual leaders explaining scripture on the basis, well, I have the witness of the Spirit. I know I'm saved. That's bad. The fourth mark, he says, of the presence of the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption indwelling us. means that in this life, the believer groans. He said in Romans 8, um, verse 23, and let me find that up here and read it. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait e- eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So he says, creation groans, the Spirit himself groans. And we see that in Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we all, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And we ourselves groan um, in Romans 8.23. We saw that as well. So that's a, that's a lot of groaning right. uh, going on. What, uh, a lot why of groaning. is this, this significant? In, uh, when it talks about groaning, what exactly does it, does it mean okay, to so, groan? So uh, again, here you have something that can be mis, mis, misconstrued, read wrong. First, it's an inner groaning. It's not our Pentecostal friends typically say, and I emphasize Pentecostal because not all Pentecostals believe this, and not all people who believe it are Pentecostals, about speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. That they say that's when you're speaking in tongues. It's the spirit groaning. But it specifically says in that text that these groanings cannot be uttered. They cannot be put into speech. It's a deep inner thing. I would, I would define it for myself as a groaning to be like Christ. There's a passage in the Old Testament where he says, when shall I awake and be like you? I want to become, I want that day to come, which is part of what Paul is saying in that text about the resurrection. We want the day of resurrection to come. It is a groaning that can be produced by the culture around us and the kind of madness that we see. And, and we, 
we just are, are so burdened by some of the stuff that's happening. We groan in our spirits. We want God's to rescue us. You know, there's that passage in, in uh, first, second Peter where he's talking about Lot in Sodom and it says he tortured, the word is vexed in the King James, but it means he tortured his soul every day by seeing the things the wicked were doing. It was a deep inner groaning which demonstrates that I'm not in step with the world. I am not, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm grieved by what's happening around me because I have the spirit and the spirit is grieved by what is going on in the world and in this church and so forth. So, so that's what I would, I would describe it as that deep inner inexpressible passion for the things of God to be manifested in his world. Back to the Lord's prayer, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, not just a prayer recited, but the outworking of our passion mm-hmm. to really see God's will worked in the earth. Looking for the hope of glory. The hope of glory, yes. Amen. Dr. Ferguson goes on, he says, uh, of course, we have privileges as being adopted into God's family, uh, but along with the privileges come responsibilities. Uh, He said, and we talked about a new status at the very beginning. We're going to talk about it again. Christians have a new status with God. The privilege is that we now belong to the family of God. And the responsibility is that we are to become like him uh, and to emulate his love for all his children. And he also says, uh, uh, before I read the verse, he also says that sometimes this is forgotten. Uh, we often tend to forget this in the church at times. Uh, but he quotes 1 John 3.10, By this is it is evident, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Right. So what does that tell us as as Christians? Well, of course, the first thing that says here, we know the children of God from the children of the devil. There are two different groups of of children here. Exactly. Some of them are God's children and some of them are not. Mm -hmm. And so anyone who says, well, we're all God's children is denying huge swaths of the scripture. But he, he then goes on, and when he says, who does not love his brother, I would say that that is a metaphor and a an umbrella metaphor for all the things that characterize the Christian life. Starts with love for brother. But how does that love manifest? It manifests by uh, encouraging my brother to serve the Lord faithfully. It manifests by my praying for his needs. It manifests by sharing my uh, blessings with him. It, it manifests. Uh, there was one, another one that was on my mind, and I'm, I've lost it now. But, but that's that. Who does not love his brother uh, isn't a child of God. Mm-hmm. And we have to, we have to pause there because many people think in our culture it's love. It's this, it's this just this nice feeling I have love. towards other people. Give them whatever they want. Stand up for them when they're being mistreated. Tolerate whatever they do. Exactly. And, and that's, there's, there's a, there's a facet of that, no doubt. But it includes all these other things 
that the Bible talks about that would be an act of love. And the illustration I always try to use, and I, I don't, I fail sometimes, is that the Ten Commandments, Paul says that if you keep, if you live by love, you keep the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. If we take the last four or five, if I love my neighbor, I will not sleep with his wife. Mm -hmm. If I love my neighbor, I will not steal his property. If I love my neighbor, it is amazing in our culture, isn't it? The people that say we're supposed to love, we're supposed to be tolerant, we're supposed to give people a second chance, but those people are doing exactly the opposite. They're mm -hmm. stealing our property, they're killing our children, they're doing this, they're doing that, but we're supposed to love them. No, love doesn't act like that. Right. And we have to call people to account for it. The, uh, the second thing he brings out is that Christians have a new sense of God's care. That's the privilege. Of. He says in Matthew 6, 8, Jesus says, Your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. And the responsibility is that we should lay aside all our anxieties, which is a lot of, uh, some Christians have problems with laying worries aside. I know um, I have someone very close to me who likes to worry a whole lot. Um, but he's, uh, he brings out the verse, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, that says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the, mighty, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for us. Did you have anything to add to that? or Only that this is part of the challenge of the Christian life. Mm -hmm. The reason he tells us not to worry is because we are prone to do it. Right. And, and if we acknowledge that we cannot be perfect in this life, then we acknowledge that we will, it is possible to have struggles in that area. But when we have struggles, and what Jesus is, is not Jesus is not saying just turn it off like you would radio and you don't have to worry about it. Jesus is saying focus on other things. Mm -hmm. Focus on God's care for you, which means do a survey of your life. See how many times God has come through. See how he's met your needs and rest in that provision. Uh, don't, mm -hmm. don't wring your hands trying to figure out how to do it. But say, okay, Lord, I know you've helped me in the past. You've always come through. You're going to come through again. I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to trust in you. Please help me do that. So, um, so last week was a tough week for us and we were having some conversations, um, Sunday evening with my youngest son about this whole thing of trusting God. And I mentioned how many times in our 28 years here at the church, where we went home on Sunday and said, okay, that's it. We did our best. We've done our best. There's no money. There's no people, no, no new people. Uh, we're at, the, we're at a brick wall. And we can't go any further. And we just said, well, Lord, thank you for what you did. And we just closed the book now. No shame in saying I did the best I could. And, and then within a week or two, God would do something else. A new family would come into the church or a new opportunity would arise. And that's God saying, I've done this before. I'll do it again. Mm -hmm. Rest in me. And this, by the way, was the biggest. 
I don't know that gripe is the right word to use of God, but I will for the purpose of illustration. The biggest gripe God had with the children of Israel in the wilderness is he kept doing these things. And the next problem, they accused him of not doing anything about their problems. And that's what we got to, that's what we have to worry about is not failing to recognize that just as God brought you through that journey, that issue, that thing, he will bring you through this. Now the Christian, the young Christian says, well, pastor, I, I'm, I'm a young Christian. I've never had any of those things to look back on and see it, God's faithfulness. And I say, hold it. Because if you understand how you came to Christ as a Christian to begin with, then you have seen the work of God yeah. in keeping you. That's awesome. Wow. Man, I'm telling you, the book is full of riches and beauty, isn't it? Yes, it is. It, it, it keeps getting better and better. The more you read it, the better it gets. The better it gets. And, and again, and plowing the field of these different facets, there's different colors in the prism. Mm-hmm. Don't just say, oh, I like red and then be done with it. Yeah. I but, know that. I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> Plunge Let's into hear, it. I, hear, it's it an ocean. Uh, hear it again. That's right. Hear it again. Uh, they, you know, I know we've used this illustration before, but the number of times you sit down and watch a movie and you say, well, I never saw that before. Mm-hmm. I've watched this movie 53 times and I never yeah. saw that yeah. that part of the movie. Well, the word's like that. Exactly. And, and the word is... the word. The word in distinction from any movie that men make is that you can never exhaust that beauty. Right. It's it's always a nugget there that you can stumble upon, dig up, or that Lord will bring to your attention that just ma- makes your mouth hang open and you say, wow. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, third and final point that he, that he brings out, that uh, being a, adopted sons and daughters, we have a, uh, a new sense of, destiny. Hmm. He says the privilege that we have is our ultimate privilege lies in the future. There is much more yet to come. And our responsibility is that we should exhibit his character because of that. Right. Amen. And he quotes 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So the goal of the Christian life is to what? Become more and more like Christ. Absolutely. Amen. Each and Amen. every day of our lives. Amen. So. And tie that together, just, just in closing, hope. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But what does that hope do? According to John, that hope motivates our righteous living. So the person that says, well, I'm just waiting for the Lord to come and is living like the devil, they missed something. They disconnected somewhere in there. The blessed hope draws me, drives me to live in a fashion of, in the pursuit of God's righteousness. Let's say it that way. Mm -hmm. Seeking his righteousness because of the hope of his coming. Not just, I hope he's coming someday and in the meantime, I'm going to enjoy myself in sin. Two different things, and I emphasize it for our for our for our for our viewers. I don't want anyone to think we're trying to pick on particular people or particular situation, but I I'm saying I see this all the time as a pastor. I've seen it all my Christian life. There there's that disconnect there. People people talk about waiting for the Lord. 
and they're not doing anything that's consistent. So, so you're you're missing, and again, whether it be the fault of the person or the fault of the pastor teaching the person, which is ultimately and undeniably possible. Nevertheless, the point is that when you are a child of God, waiting with bated breath for his appearing, you spend that wait serving him, not ignoring him or neglecting him or rebelling against him. You spend the time of your sojourn, and this is the way it says in, in Hebrews or Peter, spend the time of your sojourn in fear, in reverence, not not in flippant disregard for the things of God. What a way to close out. Did you have anything else to, <laughs> to add? That was I, a lot. I can't man. think of I don't I can't think of uh, 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 being able to get much more in there. That was uh, some really good stuff. So so Christian. Uh, you're no longer a child of, of the devil. Uh, you're not under the dominion of sin any longer. Right. Amen. You are the child of God. Right. What a, what a, what a blessing that right. is. Amen. Amen. Blessing. Pastor. Bless you, my God friend. bless you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. Bibles, Bulldogs, and Beards was brought to you by BibleBulldog.com. Purveyors of antiquarian Bibles, theology books, and other Christian items. Also enjoy hundreds of podcasts and sermons while you visit BibleBulldog.com. Visit BibleBulldog.com today.